Hey everybody, how are you guys doing? Uh, it's been a minute. Arsenal closed the season today in, in style, I must say. In fairness to the young players uh, and Mikel Arteta, they finished the season in good fashion. Let me move this close by here. You know, 39, 38 games, 69 points. You know, in most season that gets you Champions League, uh, Champions League football, not this year. Last year, Chelsea got Champions League football with 67 points. Also, just looking at Arsenal's season, it's hard. It's hard to take. I, I, I'm not gonna sit up here and and you know try to glorify what's happened. Even though I see a lot of positives, that is that is, um, you know, over the season I've seen a lot of positives, and I still think that the season has been more positive than not. But it's one of those loop-de-loop -loop ones. You you know, running circles on uh, around your your own thought process when you look at this one. It's, it's not a very straightforward one to look at, so I'm going to try and stay away from making conclusive statements, whether it's too positive or too negative. And um, I'm sure people who like that kind of stuff, you know, what kind of podcasts or, or YouTube channels to find that kind of, you know, thinking where you're going to get immediately, this sucks or this is amazing, you know. There's a lot of that, and you guys know where to find that kind of content. This is the Foot and Nose podcast, and... I'm a one-man show and I try, you know, I'm still a new in this whole social media thing and, and especially like just sharing thoughts publicly um, after difficult results can be, you know, can be a hard thing, you know, especially for those of us who were not professional journalists. You know, I'm not a journalist. I'm just a football fan who really loves the game, loves my team. And so it becomes harder um, to think and, and then talk immediately after, you know, after a game. So today Arsenal won. You wouldn't be able to tell that from my mood. They won 5-1 and it probably feels like the, the lousiest I've ever felt after a 5-1 win. And um, five different scores. Martinelli scores first goal after some game. Like, I think it was like 15 or 18 games. Something stupid that he hadn't scored. Um, and he missed a big chance early on in the game at 0-0. You know, from the six-yard box you know, he, the ball trickles through to him and, you know, I think he doesn't realize how much more time he has to finish that chance and, and he doesn't put it, you know, he doesn't put it in the net. But then we get um, a penalty from, from, a, from a shot by him, actually, that Alexi Wobi tries to block with his arm. I think he was trying to chest it or hit it with the shoulder, at least. He, I don't think he was deliberately trying to handle the ball, but he did. And um, Martinelli calmly puts it in the back of the net. I was surprised to see him take that, uh, the penalty because the last two in a row we had, Bugayo Saka stepped up for them and scored both. Um, and then from that point on, I mean, Arsenal looked good from minute number one today. It was just one-way traffic for most of that first half. We get a second goal, but it was not a lot in the game. You know, I'm just trying to see the chronology of the goals here real quick. Yeah, Eddie, we get a second goal from a corner after a very good... Um, Good play that led to, I think, a shot by Saka, and then Eddie scores from a flick on by Martinelli from a from a corner. Martinelli flicks it on from the near post, and then you know Eddie is there in poacher style, you know, in the six yard box and just guides it into the net with his head. And then if you look at then after that, Arsenal become a little bit sloppy and fall asleep just before half time, and Donny Van de Beek sneaks in, you know, eight minutes after he had come on as a sub for Dokore and. We go into halftime 2-1, and I was feeling frustrated, you know, to be quite honest. So in this game, you actually see a lot of, in that first half especially, you see a lot of Arsenal's flaws. Very good when they're front-running. You know, this team is, is a team of front-runners this year. 
And today they were good, you know, because they scored the first goal and they were all over Everton who had played their hearts out and left it all on the line on Thursday. So Everton was just in London for a party from, from what I could see, you know, and they tried, but like they gave too much to that game and you know on Thursday and probably they were celebrating for too long if you ask me going into Friday morning and so this game for them was more of a formality and Arsenal were ready for it hoping for a miracle at Norwich which was never to come because Tottenham handled business in emphatic fashion but coming back to this game and then so we start the second half um, and Cedric scores a really beautiful goal actually it was my favorite goal the Cedric goal, along with Odegaard, are my two are my two favorite goals from this game. Very beautiful corner routine. Saka passes it into the penalty spot, kinda towards, and Cedric meets it towards the, almost like he's almost like in line with the with the near post, but he's standing in you know by the by the P spot, you know, but on the, I would say Arsenal's right hand side of of their offense in that box so like Everton's goalkeeper's left you know Arsenal's right um, and and he just guides it into you know into the top top I mean it was a good goal um, my favorite goal definitely and then Gabriel makes it four three minutes later with a, with his foot for a change he normally gets headed goals and he gets the assist from Cedric so it was a game where you know we had five different scores and Odegaard scores in the 83rd minute it's a good Good, good game for Arsenal, but like we didn't have too many, you know, enough games like this where Arsenal scored, you know, and and won the game by more than one goal, and that that was the unfortunate part of this season. I think you know we were good enough to win most games, but too many, too many narrow wins. Also, to just take a quick look, glance back at the at the entire season, we had a spell where we played our best football. I would say probably like mid late December. Um, until kind of like the spring months you know i mean january was a little bit bleak but there was not a lot of premier league football played you know we just got knocked out of two cup competitions and um after that it was mostly wins for arsenal because they had you know the best 11 players you know the the so-called back four if you want to include ramsdale back five of tomiyasu uh, tomiyasu was missing I guess for that part, but you had Tierney, you had Gabriel, you had Ben White, and you had Ramsdale, and there Cedric was just not you know the odd man out, but he wasn't being asked to do too much, and he fitted in. And on the bright side, I guess you know like during that time we didn't want Nuno in the team because when he would come in, he came in cold, and didn't look good. But Nuno looked really good in the last few games. And I think even at Newcastle, where most, if not all, of Arsenal players looked bad, I think Nuno was the best-looking threat um, up until he got substituted, um, which I didn't agree with at the time. So I think Arsenal had an up-and-down season, man. Like, you know, we weren't ready at the beginning of the season. To, you know, we, we, we gave everybody a three-game head start. We weren't ready at, at Brentford when we were caught with our pants down. And then we lost the next two games against City and Chelsea, which we could have lost those two, regardless of when in the in the season they were played, you know, especially at that time of the season. Like, Chelsea was still good. There were no Abramovich, you know, um, distractions with all this Russia stuff and whatever. And they were still good, Chelsea, that first part of the season. And then we went 
through a run, starting with a few stuttering wins, you know, Burnley, Norwich, those three wins that happened there. And then we had a bit of a, you know, dip again with um, Everton and United. And then we went on a run, you know, beating Leeds 4-1, beating Norwich about five. You know, like we won some games in a convincing manner. I guess Arsenal did play well when, when they had their best 11 players. But the lesson for this season is you have to do better than that. And and obviously nobody saw the Aubameyang thing coming. You know, like if you look at the games Arsenal played with their best 11 players, they won. They were probably playing as the fourth, if not the third best team in England in those games. But the challenges came when we started to lose, you know, we lost party for a chunk of this season as well. Even though he played more this year and played more like the player we thought we were buying this year compared to last year. Kranichaka was available for most of the second half of the season, but we forget that he also was um, injured from, you know, he never gets injured. But this season, he missed about three months um, from the Spurs game until he came back. I think he came back about a few weeks early, but he still missed for a couple of months because Sambi played a lot of minutes, a lot more minutes that I think than I think Arteta and his coaching staff expected him to play. And he made a little nice cameo today. Clearly wasn't, you know, he and, and, and Nuno were prob- definitely, actually not probably, but definitely the two kind of speculative signings that um, that Arsenal made last summer. And I think they were good some signings. You know, they were good signings because you're not going to get your your first 11 signings all in once all in one summer four of six signings last summer were first 11 players and they all made a big difference it's just too bad that we couldn't keep Tommy Asu fit but Ben White was definitely you know didn't he, he we, we I think we played him too many times until recently when he just wasn't fit you know you could see at Newcastle he wasn't fit so health was also a part of the problem I guess you know, um, besides, but I th- and you know, it's not besides actually. I think it, it, I think it correlates. You know, health and 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 squad depth because we we were asking a lot of players to do a lot. You know, and then we're we're also leaving a lot of players doing nothing. So we were asking almost like the first twelve, thirteen players to do a lot, and then leaving players for for months at a time in the cold. You know, like Pepe, for example. I mean, he's hardly had a kick this season. I think he could have helped a little bit more. I'm not saying he would have guaranteed Champions League football, but I think um, Ateta had his trusted lieutenants and leaned heavily on them. And, you know, he died on that sword, I guess, if you're going to call this a death or if you're going to call it a victory, he won on that same sword, you know. I think it's both, both some some losses and some wins. You know, I think the fact that Arsenal has improved, if you're looking at a season from like win, draw, loss, right? Arsenal improved on two columns. They improved on the win column. They jumped from 18 wins the previous season to 22 wins this year. And that means, you know, last year's, I think it was about seven draws or something like that. Let me fact check here real quick. But I think it was seven draws. So they basically four of those draws became wins. And then, and then, you know, that means then Arsenal only drew three games this year. 
they lost the same number of games though this year and last year you know and i think part of the problem when i look at arsenal season yep last year they had seven draws and 18 wins 13 losses so they stayed the same in the loss column improved in the win and draw columns by four and they went from 61 points last year i think to 69 points this year 61 points last year and finished yeah last year liverpool were third with 69 points so a little bit of context right like so the premier league keeps getting tougher and tougher and I, i'm not saying now finishing you know with 69 points this year guarantees you know that we will finish with more but in fairness to ateta he has he has won more points with every season so the first season he came it was a half season because he came in december or whatever then there was a COVID break and then the 11 games i think it was that were played at the end there in june you know, after the, the, the games uh, were, were resumed again. That season, Arsenal got 56 points. So in his first full season, it didn't do really well. So last season was really bad, you know, with 61 points. But this season, you can say that, you know, pretty much a new team. He got 69 points. Now, this doesn't guarantee that Arsenal will do this again and improve again next year even but i think that's something to feel good about the other thing though that I, i'm going to talk about that i think you can't feel good about is 13 losses 13 losses is really it's i mean it's a, it's it's a lot it's really a lot like that's the most losses in the top seven six games six teams we, we lost more games than men united i mean it's one more loss but it's still we lost more games than them and they had 15 58 points and i think some interesting things about this I know it's really, really easy to analyze the last few things we remember, which is like Newcastle game and Tottenham game, which of course they matter, you know, and everything is worth analyzing. But I think Arsenal hurt themselves in this in this season by the number of red cards they had, including at Spurs. I think they had too many games with red cards, and I, I don't even remember. I know we did better in the second half of the season, but like at Wolves, red card, Spurs, red card, Liverpool, red card in both games, but those were the calling cup. But moving back again to even further, Man City, red card, both Manchester City games, um, and we lost those games. And, and the, the, I think the second game was more costly the red card could have gotten a draw or gotten a win in that one who knows and then arsenal continued i think we had like five six red cards in the season red card at manchester city yeah there was so yeah basically the red cards were costly you know it's hard to win games when you play with 10 men and then also like the chunks of losses and like every time arsenal would lose it took too long to recover from the games they lost and i don't know if that's kind of like the you know the emotional nature of this team uh, and manager and i guess we will see it all in the all or nothing documentary which i think will probably do well you know in there in terms of ratings because it's arsenal arsenal sells but also i think it's going to be interesting to see how you know internally how the messaging was you know like what was what was the, t the dressing room climate and maybe i don't know if it will be revealed i wonder if arsenal will have content in the in the documentary that reveals what what were their real objectives for this season you know what were their true objectives uh, because it's it's a very interesting thing you know what we expect as fans and what i think internally is expected as much as there was this connection between fans and players and whatever you know like because we like to support our teams and i think you know we, we don't all have to agree on how what that looks like you know, I uh, I watch 
a lot of interviews on AFTV. I don't talk like the fans who talk on AFTV because they're at the games most of the time. And and they're talking immediately after the game. You know, I, I get to walk around, get a cup of coffee, or I get to be a bit more removed from the situation. So even though it hurts, like for me anyway, I think I, think I show my frustration differently because I'm consuming a lot of Arsenal and most games on TV. You know, um... Now, when I'm at a bar, maybe I get a bit more, you know, passionate and like be argumentative with people as the game happens. But, but in most in most instances, you know, like I I don't find myself talking, you know, in hyperbolic nature, you know. But what I do think is that like most of us fans, you know, we I believe that, like I sincerely believe that most fans, even the ones who talk like you don't like you don't I don't think they come from a place of looking to harm or destroy the club they support. I think I think everybody cares maybe and maybe sometimes they care too much. Um if there's such a thing. I I really really think like a lot of us football fans actually like you know we 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 get painted as as dumb people or or you know idiots or noisemakers or whatever. But actually, like the game is is evolving because of the pressure I think fans put on their clubs to perform better. I think fans still are a form of accountability for football clubs and the way they um, and the way they operate. You know, and and I think the game in England, especially, has evolved because of fan engagement um, in the country in England and around the world. Um, and I, and I know this having moved to the states in the last decade, you know I've been here almost ten years now, and and there's so many games you watch and you're like this is such emotionless state, um, especially when I talk about basketball and baseball, in American football maybe not so much, but but even there sometimes you see games where there's like, you know it lacks a little bit of something because. Owners are guaranteed to have their money. Revenue streams are, you know, limitless. It seems, and and so you know you can have teams sometimes just coasting, you know, and they don't feel an accountability to their fans. Teams can sometimes even move cities. You know, I live in Houston, and Houston has a football team that's new, and I think they used to have a different football team. You know, Arsenal owners moved a football team recently from St. Louis to to L.A. Um, the Chargers have moved, so it's like it's a very weird, you know, accountability system in the states, and you know, and it works. It works for him for American people, and I'm not judging it. I'm just saying that you know, in football, fans have a have an important role to play outside of the U.S. You know, the the way um, relegation works and the way um, money works in those leagues. You know, like England. You know, I think I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of judgments. I think sometimes mainstream media um, makes about football that I'm like, ah, I don't know about that. And especially in the last couple of weeks, you know, I'm very very thankful for for fan media op- uh, options because I think a lot of times fans are the ones who follow their clubs more and therefore are more likely, even when they're angry, to tell you something that's closer to the truth. 
Um, I know it's kind of counterintuitive because we're emotionally connected to the clubs we support. But I think I'd rather listen to football fans of that particular club talk about that club than listen to people like Gary Neville or even though I like Gary Neville, you know, you can only have but so much time on your on your day, you know. So they won't they won't ever know each club more than the fans of that club. So like yeah, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I listen to fans even when sometimes yeah, I don't agree with with the way people say things or express the way they express themselves. I also think Arsenal fell short this season, not by much, but fell short this season because you know, in in addition to a lack of experience, they just didn't have, you know, quality in depth, you know. Um, a lack of experience um, definitely hurt um, at times just this season. I think some of the red cards could have been avoided due to, you know, maybe sometimes an older player overcompensates trying to be a big man and not knowing how to be a lead man in the team, gets himself sent off. And then sometimes it's young players like Martinelli making emotional things and Gabriel Magalhaes against Manchester City making a decision that's dumb, you know, like... And Thomas Partey overstretching a leg and just overcommitting and kicking somebody. There's, those are the, just the three or four red cards I'm remembering. But like, there are moments like that in games where it's like, yeah, you know, just calm your tits a little bit. But also, experience could have also been costly at Tottenham. Like, I, I, I think Rob Holding first of all loses his head. But I think Mikel Arteta's game plan, um, if that was the game plan, what we saw. You know, you are four points up on this team, three games left in the season. Did we maybe see the headline? Like, oh, yeah, Arsenal about to win the the Champions League spot at Spurs, you know, and finish it with two games to spare. Maybe maybe we shouldn't have... I mean, we've played on the counter-attack a lot. I mean, at the, at, at the home game in, 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 in the Emirates Stadium, we were not the aggressors. If you think about it, all of the goals, we ran the whole pitch. We sucked Spurs in. They came to press us. We sucked them in, and then we ran the whole pitch, and then we scored. Smith Rowe's goal is that way. Saka's goal, same way. Who scores one of the other goals? Okay, there was a cutback as well, Saka to Smith Rowe. Oh, the Aubameyang goal, sorry, is the one I'm thinking about. When when Smith Rowe plays it to Alba after Alba had flicked it on for him. And then Smith Rowe is running down the left, you know. So it, it's it's a lot of I don't know. I just think like a lot of the players were too eager sometimes. You know, they wanted it too much. You know, in in terms of like Arsenal's entire season, the the players at times wanted it too much, and therefore ended up fucking up. You know, excuse my language, but but yeah, it can happen. You can sometimes want something a little too much. Um, but like one thing I won't feel is is disappointment in the players. I think the players and in the they I think Arteta actually did get the, the all the juice that was available in the players he had, the ones he used. Um, you know we can relitigate whether Pablo Mari could have helped for two or three games, but how much would he have helped if he had been out and not playing for three months, and then you ask him to play? You know, we saw how he looked against Romelu Lukaku, you know, in the beginning of the season. I don't know if Torreira would have helped. I don't know. Maybe Quinduzi could have helped. Maybe 
Saliba could have helped. I don't know if Ainsley would have helped, but maybe he could have helped. It's like you, see, you know, we can't we can't, we can't think like that. Um, Ainsley has been trying to leave Arsenal. He picked up a fast last summer, so there's a little bit of that experience thing. Maybe, maybe you know, in Edwin and 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 Ateta maybe as well. You know, like some of the planning and the way they did it. Like maybe they were a bit too too fit like loyal to the plan like there was too much fidelity to the plan maybe you know but i'll be i'll be the first to say like in january i was first of all i, w I was saying in the in the fall like that that fifth would be an overachievement it still feels like shit now that we're fifth because i've seen how we got to fifth right even though like there were like lots of ups and downs throughout the season it feels like shit right now but like i'm sure after some distance and after you know a few weeks or so i it i i think we kind of overachieved i don't think we had the fifth best squad in the premier league i don't think so i know you know that the party line is to say spurs are shit but i think they have better players at this stage of their careers compared to our players at this stage of their careers. I think we're a better team overall. I think we're a better coach team. I know Conte is getting all the plaudits for being this great, you know, messiah. Uh, you know, I think he's a good coach, but I think people are overblowing the job he's done. I think sp I had Spurs finishing likely above us even when they had Nuno, like until I saw what Nuno really was at Spurs. But looking at the you know the fact that we we gave everybody a three game head start with you know a young team and we were going to lose some games along the way in addition to those three we lost right from the jump uh, you know it was always going to be a tough one to make to make it to top 4 but i i do think when i when i take a little bit of you know distance from it i think Fifth will feel a bit different than it feels right now. And so, you know, like, we can make data, we can make the season into whatever we want to make it. And I'd be interested to hear what people say in comment section or what people say in their other spaces where they talk about the season. I just think the season has been a very difficult one because of a variety of things, like Arsenal had to cut a lot of players beginning of the season mid-season especially the big surprise of Aubameyang being cut like cutting Aubameyang nobody saw that coming you know and you know what like it's it's one of those things you know and I and I think most Arsenal most reasonable Arsenal fans I listen to say you know okay Fair play, you, you, you made a decision and, you know, it didn't work out, but, like, you made a decision. But I think where, where most people are questioning and where I feel like we stuck to the plan a little too much was that it maybe we were a little bit too perfectionist and that we didn't sign somebody to replace Alba. You know, if you look at the starting lineup over the last 10 games, I mean, it's like, whoa, we got this close to Champions League football and we got... Almost no goals from Lacazette in that run. Almost none. He's, he scored a penalty. 
Um, if you want to be generous, you can give him the, the winner against Wolves, but it was, a, it was an own goal. It, he didn't even make a good connection with that one. Um, and Eddie scored five goals. So between him and Laka, we got something, you know, but it was mostly Smith Rowe and, and Saka. You know, I mean, Gabriel scored, I think, more goals than Lacazette. You know, Gabriel, the centre-back. So, Ateta definitely is, is a man that, I, that I'm intrigued by. And I, th and I believe, I believe that with him, you know, involved, the club will make some smart decisions. I, you know, he's, he's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. And I think, you know, when you lead, you know, a football club the size of Arsenal, you know, you're going to make a lot, of a lot of people unhappy whenever things don't go right. And, that's, and it's supposed to be that way. But I think last summer they made six signings. You know, I know people can point to Willian and other signings, maybe Pablo Marie, which I don't think, you know, but those coach signings I think were made while Ateta was still like um, a head coach, some of them, you know, like Cedric Suarez, who he has found a use for. You know, he's found a use for Cedric, and I don't know if we will keep him next year, but he's under contract. And I know we could definitely upgrade on that. And I know Ainsley would have probably been better than that, but Ainsley didn't want to play right back for most of the time. And then he went to Roma and didn't even play. So maybe Ainsley, maybe Ainsley learns that, you know, that it's not always rosy away from, 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 from Arsenal. I think if he accepted his role, I think he would have been a very useful player, but you can't rely on unhappy players though. You know, it sounds like Torreira, after having had a really good season at Fiorentina, you know, but he, we didn't have him the whole season, so like I can't even complain about that. He had a really good season at Fiorentina, but it sounds like they won't be they won't be paying the the pre-agreed fee, you know, for for the option on that loan. It seems like they're not they they wanted an even cheaper agreement, which is. Which is bullshit. Like I think these dudes, they they just they just sold um, Vlaovic to Juventus for a lot of money. I think seventy mil or something, something around that neighborhood. Don't remember the figures off the top of my head. And yet, they they don't want to pay up. Fifteen million euros for Torreira, who's been a player of the month for them a few a few months over the season. He's been a player of the month, and they don't want to pay fifteen mil. These guys are some jokers, man. And and this is this is really really rich from these Italian clubs. You know, they they tend to do this quite a bit, and it's a flipping annoying. They want to sell you, you know, at premium prices when they sell players, and they put this ridiculous buy buy clause or release clause. But when it's time for them to pay up, they're looking for fam friends and family discount. Ain't that some shit? I'm just thinking back to, you know, Koulibaly. He's still at Napoli. People have wanted him. They won't sell him. There have been rumors, which I don't know if they're true or not, like that Arsenal won Victor Osimhen from Napoli. Apparently, apparently, I'm not, you know, a journalist, but I'm reading um, some Italian journalists, I think, um, 
put out on Twitter, I forget their name, that, and Cole actually quoted this, that Arsenal had made a 90 million euro bid for Victor Osimhen and that it was rejected by Napoli. So, case in point. So, anyway, I, I just think this season has come and has gone, you know, and people are allowed to feel about it the way they do, you know, whatever it is that it, that, that, that they feel. I just feel like, to me, you know, it, it's been the most turbulent season for sure. Um, you know, the highs have been really high and the lows have been really low because, like, the wins have come on a trot, but so have the losses, you know. Losses have come in, in, three, in, in, in threes and twos. Um, and it was just, I guess, a pair of losses too many at the end, at Newcastle last week and then at Spurs the week before. But I don't think that's when this thing was all lost. I think there were a lot of other opportunities earlier in the season to really create separation and opportunity also maybe in the transfer window in January to strengthen or keep some of our players, Callum Chambers, who could have covered at centre-back, going into the Newcastle game, you know, like we, we could have done some things, you know, and I think Callum Chambers probably would have had the right mindset, probably of all the players we let go who were unhappy and kicking up a fuss, I think he is the most Rob Holding, like in terms of like, he would have been a good guy, you know, just been happy to see out the contract as long as the club don't hold him hostage and do, you know, the club option and to keep him another year for him not to play again. You know, I think he would have helped, but you know, it's 2020, right? In hindsight, so the long and short of it is, it's been a lot to be to be happy about. Um, four signings for the first eleven, and then two signings in Nuno and Sambi that I think will do a lot of good for Arsenal moving forward. You know, if not in resale value, definitely as valuable squad members you know Nuno got some minutes towards the end of the season because Kieran Tierney is Kieran Tierney you know he's like the new Jack Wilshire and he's on a long-term contract so I don't know what Arsenal will do with him but you know Nuno is an athlete Nuno a lot to work with there he's got a bit of the Adama Traoras about him with his wayward kicking but he's a big physical player man he jumps off the screen when you watch him he jumps out like you, you can't miss that boy um with the things he does he's very electric you know and if martinelli continues to play down the left for arsenal as a first choice player and nuno gets better with his um long distance passing and his shooting then we have players you know we have players but but definitely the transfer window is going to be super, super important. Um, and what Arsenal does in the transfer window will determine what next year will be like. Maybe we'll be sitting here again, having gone backwards. Or maybe we'll be sitting here feeling like, oh yeah, now we understand why you didn't sign anyone in January. You know, only time will tell. You know, right now January feels like it was a mistake to not sign anybody to replace Alba. And maybe it will feel like that for a long time for some people. I don't know. I just think we'll know at the end of this transfer window for sure, for sure, if it was a mistake or not. 
if these guys are some jokers just, you know, holding back and then fluffing it and then, you know, sitting on the money in the summer, we'll see. Something tells me, though, that this, this arsenal moves differently. I, I've seen them move differently, you know, like being, being prepared to cut as many players as they have and, and being very efficient in the transfer window last summer. I have, I have a lot more trust in Arsenal going into the transfer window than I did this time last year. I also have a lot more trust in this team and a lot more positive feelings about this team. Even though we will lose some players, maybe Edin Ketia will be one of those players we lose. I think it would be dumb of him to, to leave because I think there's an opportunity here without Alba and Lacazette. There's an opportunity here for him, if he believes in his talent, to compete with whoever comes in, you know. And the good thing is that I did see Ateta sometimes use Eddie on the left and sometimes I did see Ateta go to a two up front. There'll be lots of opportunities for Eddie to play if he stayed at Arsenal next year. So, you know, there's also a lot of loan players that need to, you know, decisions need to be made. Reese Nelson had a good season. He's a, I don't know when the Conference League final will be. He probably will start in that. Saliba had a good season. Young player of the year in France, I think. And who else was on loan? Guendouzi, but like he's gone. You know, he had a good season. Um, young Daniel Ballard, I'm interested in him, actually. If Arsenal can get money for Rob Holding and get him and and Saliba, that's four centre-backs, you know, in addition to the two we already have. You know, that would be four in total, right? Gabby, Big Gabby, Ben White, um, Dan Ballard, as well as William Saliba. You know, if you get some money for Pablo Mari, he played well for Udinese in Italy. Um, yeah, lots of players. Lots of players Arsenal need to make decisions on. But, you know, Balogun had a decent second half of the season. Yeah, let's see where it all goes. But I'm going to stop here. Um, I think I'm feeling much better, actually, now that I've talked about this game and talked about what I've seen in the second half of the season. I'll be talking to you guys um, again soon, you know, as things unfold um, throughout the summer. But thank you so much for for the support and listening as always.